Thanks as always for tuning in to Trojan Talk. We have a great show today. I'm Ryan Young, as always, and I will be joined very shortly by my co-host Max Brown. But first, just want to remind everybody of our great deal going on right now. We have a free trial at trojansports.com through December 6th. So you can get all of our premium content, our columns, our recruiting news, our team news, podcasts, analytical breakdowns, etc., etc., all that good stuff for free through December 6th. No commitment required. It's truly a free trial. We want to get you in the door. We want you to see what we're doing because we think once you do, you're going to like it. But there is no commitment. Just uh, give us a try. Use promo code FREEUSC. Free USC at sign up is your code to unlock that free trial. And if you go to our homepage at trojansports.com, you will see references to the to the promo at the top of the page and pretty much in every story we post. So it's really easy to find. So take advantage of that. One quick note on the podcast. We taped on Thursday afternoon. There was a small update that evening from Clay Helton that cornerback Isaac Taylor Stewart Got in a limited practice Thursday on his sprained ankle. He's now a game-time decision. You'll hear us talk at the end of the show about freshman Dorian Hewitt likely starting at cornerback. Whether Taylor Stewart can play or not, we still expect Hewitt to have a role because Taylor Stewart will certainly not be at full strength. With that, we will get into the fun. I I know that that maybe interest is not sky high for this Arizona game with with USC now 3-3. And the season looking a little different than maybe some hoped. But we're going to make this a fun podcast because we have a cool, a few cool segments we're going to do. I'm joined, as always, by Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, the Trojans analyst, my co-host here. Max, how are you today? I'm great, Ryan. Pumped to be here. Uh, this will be a good one, like you said. Some, uh, some dope segments. This will be fun. Yeah, we, we've kind of been throwing it back and forth via text about how we wanted to handle this, and, and I had some fun putting this together today. So we're going to get into a breakdown of the matchup later in the show. Max will give his his analyst take on Arizona on both sides of the ball. We'll talk about some of the news of the week from the USC side of things. But let's let's have fun at the front end here. Let's dive in. This could be a new recurring segment. Now, I'm not sure I have – I'm not sure I have uh, – this many hot takes every week but this week we're going to do five hot takes and max is gonna let me know if he buys or sells them or or how hot they really are so i'm gonna throw them his way and he and he's gonna either catch them or bat them right back to me and we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna dive in with that okay so i'm not even sure if these are in the right order if they're ranked like which one's the hottest i don't know (laughs) but we'll figure it out that's why i'm (laughs) here i love it Right. So I'm going to start, you know, we've talked so much about Marquis Stepp and his role and uh, some stubbornness by the coaches by not giving him more of a chance. I'm going to go to the other side of the ball and say, I think that freshman linebacker Raylan Goforth should be playing at least 20% of the snaps at middle linebacker. And here's my argument. We all know that that John Houston is a fulcrum of, of debate and discussion and criticism from fans. We kind of know what he is now. Clancy Pendergast just seems to have the utmost trust in him no matter what happens in the game. Like, that's his guy. But Raylan Goforth was really good in the preseason. And when he signed with USC as a 29, 2019 recruit, he was near the very top of my list of guys I thought were going to make an impact immediately. Obviously, Drake Jackson was up there. Uh, maybe some of the receivers were up there at that time. But Goforth was very high on my list. And he hasn't played a single defensive snap yet. And I don't understand it. Like, you know what you're getting each week with John Houston. Why not just see what you have in Raylan Goforth? Maybe he proves he's not too young, that it's not overwhelming, that he can handle the responsibilities of the position. And if he can't, then adjust and say, okay, well, that was too soon. He can't do it. But if he surprises you, maybe he earns a larger and larger and larger share, but give him a chance. That's number one. Max. Yeah, I think uh, I buy that. I I do. And the key metric you use there is the 20% uh, snaps. If you went up to like 40 or 50, then I would sell that in a heartbeat. To me, I think I like I'm a reasonable guy. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Uh, I love your angle just in terms of 
I mean, John Houston's played a lot of ball. He played. He was. He started when I was there back in 2016, and it's 2019 right now. And you kind of know what you're getting at with him. And uh, I don't think it's as bad as a lot of the the Twitter birds kind of make it out to be. But I also don't think it's necessarily the elite level that SC needs. And so, if Raylan kind of is the guy of the future, I think that change of pace of getting him in there, kind of a series here or series there or whatever, I think that is. Uh, a successful blueprint. The reason that I kind of, uh, kind of right when you get past that, that I buy the 20, 20 per, or yeah, 20% mark, but I, I sell the 40% is, I know for me, a big concern going into this season was, was leadership and kind of where was that going to come from with this team? Uh, and it sounds like John Houston's kind of been that guy on the defense. And I know Talanoa's kind of taken over a, a lot of the leadership on the back end and kind of up front, you have a guy like Christian Rector and some other guys. But, but, I mean, there's a reason. I mean, Houston got voted captain, and to me, that the, the captains and leadership, that was a dicey area for me going into the season. I was like, I don't know where they're going to get it. You have JT Daniels at the time who, soft-spoken guy. I mean, you, I know you had Michael Pittman, but to me there is an element of, okay, even if John Houston isn't your absolute Cam Smith beast in the middle, I think there is an element of, of, of like, okay, well, he is kind of – he is, he is at least solid in there, and you kind of know what you're getting. And when guys look around, especially when you have a young secondary and whatnot, uh, when you look around and, and you're seeing that same consistent face, I think there is a level of comfort there. Uh, but I'm with you that the level, the level of play isn't off the charts, and, and there probably is room to, to sprinkle in a younger guy in there. I would just say I understand all that I just don't know what that leadership is translating to and I'm not saying that he hasn't been a leader he hasn't been helpful it's just in terms of the actual outcomes and results and giving up 308 rushing yards for Notre Dame and other breakdowns we've seen I just don't know if if that to me is uh is that important and maybe yeah, no I think that, Raylan Goforth isn't yeah go ahead well I'm just gonna say I mean maybe Raylan Goforth isn't ready for that spot but I, I don't think you you can ever truly know that from the practice field. I mean, they, they may see things that they're not totally comfortable or, or confident in yet, but I, I still think you got to see it in the game. Like, I go back to last year. They plugged EA in there when Cam Smith got hurt at middle linebacker, and it was kind of up and down. But his first two games were really good because his instincts just took over, and he made plays. He was just a playmaker. Now, eventually, he had some – some breakdowns where he was out of position, he was in the wrong spot, and that hurt them. So I get th- there's a balance there, but I just want to see it to have something to compare it to rather than just saying, okay, this is the best we can do for every snap of every game. Yeah, and the whole see it element, like I'll never win that argument with the, with the leadership aspect because the reality is you can't necessarily see a tangible result with leadership. I just know kind of – being in that locker room, being in locker rooms before, and it's, I mean, it's like, like I said, I mean, it's never going to show up in a stat sheet, but it matters. I think I always kind of point back to that 2016 season uh, when we started off slow and finished strong. Uh, obviously, had, had, a, had a, uh, like a, a tough start there a, a, as a team, but I think leadership has kind of put the, stuck that team together, and uh, it's a comment here, a comment there, but I'm with you. Stat wise or tackle wise, I don't think you'll ever see it, and uh, maybe there's an argument to be said about, hey, making a switch, even if it isn't a John Houston issue, making a switch just kind of changes things up and, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, allows for kind of a new spark, I guess, in there. But, uh, yeah, I kind of net out at the – I'm with you. Let, let's sprinkle in railing in there a little bit. But uh, in terms of going as far as benching John Houston, which I get tweets and comments and questions in the postgame radio show about that, I'm not, sure. uh, I'm not all in on that, uh, on that front. Yeah, I'm not there with you either because, again, like, Goforth is, is an unknown. I, I just want to see something from him. I, I want to learn about him. I want to see him in action and see if maybe he can do it. But, yeah, it's definitely not to the point of you can make a wholesale s- swap out there. Um, I definitely respect your point about the leadership. I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why your perspective is so valuable because you know what it's like to be in the locker room, to be on, on the team where that stuff matters. And, and we just – pick this apart from the outside so i definitely respect that and i'm sure that has been a huge reason why now this week is interesting because it seems highly unlikely that ea plays he has a sprained ankle he has not practiced at least through wednesday uh, as we're taping this podcast thursday afternoon and the succession plan there would be for kanai malga to fill ea's spot but 
Kanai has has uh, has not played a ton this season. He's right, right around 65 snaps all season, and he's consistently been one of the lowest graded players by PFF College. Now again, when when they're grading small sample sizes, I don't know how accurate it always is. I think their info is better when it's when it's a larger sample size. So I'm not you know putting all my stock in that grade, but I don't know what to expect from him either in in a really large role this game. And Clay Helton said it's definitely possible that they could play Raylan Goforth and move John Houston to that weak side spot where, of course, he played previously. So that's a possibility. Okay, that was hot take numero uno. Dos. I think that USC should, the coaches should take the, take the initiative, force the issue, and rest Christian Rector until his ankle is fully healthy. Ooh, okay. Let, let me let me spell out my case, and then and then you can you can dissect it any way you want. But it just became glaring in that Notre Dame game that his mobility is compromised. And once Notre Dame realized that, they started designing plays to specifically attack that, and they were successful plays. And Christian Rector is a guy I really like, and I understand the how it's a complex matter for him. This is his last season. He's a redshirt senior. He's trying to play his way into a higher draft grade than he had last year. Sitting out games this late in the season is really tough for him. When when he knows that he can at least fight through it, I, I get how that's tough, and they may feel like they owe it to him. But if his ankle was the reason why he couldn't protect the edge really at all in that Notre Dame game, and that was a major factor in those 308 rushing yards. And I think the coaches just have to say, Christian, we love your heart. We love that you're, you're trying to play through this, but we want that ankle to be fully healed for, for however, however many games you can play at full strength. Let's rest it right now. And I support this claim because Caleb Tremblay has been decent when he's played. He's playing about 15 to 20 snaps a game. So, again, small sample size. If you want to put stock in the PFF stats, he grades out well every single week. I don't have a a impassioned evaluation of my own on him. I'm kind of leaning on those stats a little bit. But he's a guy you have. And you also have Connor Murphy. So you can rotate those guys at that spot. You can play more Hunter Eccles, outside linebacker, and only go with one DN. So they have options there. And I just don't know how much Christian Rector can fully help them if he's still that hampered by his ankle. Go. These are good. This is this is that's a good take. I'm sitting here like going back and forth, like yo, what should I do? Um, yeah, no, I'll sell it though. If if I have to choose one, where I thought you were gonna go with that is who do we got on the schedule this week? We got Arizona. So if you have to protect the edge and have to be like free moving and all that against one specific team, this is the team because you're going up going up against Khalil Tate. So you don't want to hobble defensive end. The reason I'm gonna sell it though is. To me, his ankle, it, 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 when I watch the film, it doesn't jump out to me that much. Is he as dynamic? No, I'll agree there. But it, I don't watch the film, and I'm, I'm not saying, oh, my gosh, like he's getting absolutely torched. I think uh, we talked about it in the last play where that reverse, like you wish he was kind of there, uh, the, uh, the reverse against Notre Dame. To me, I mean, I think he's in trouble kind of either way against that. Uh, but, okay. But uh, I just think – one, it's an ankle sprain. So if if you give him two weeks and then he comes back, I just I I I, I mean rest always helps, but is it gonna kind of maybe be like not enough where you kind of need a whole month off kind of thing? And maybe this conversation should have happened. I don't know if we're being honest, probably before that tough stretch of stretch stretch of opponents. But I just think even if he can give you reps. Uh, first and second down on more like interior stuff uh, where you are going to face uh, a dynamic running back in, in this week's game where he can maybe help you on some of the more inside zone stuff. Having those numbers of the defensive line is something that's been a strength for SC. Uh, and so I still want him to play. Uh, I think your point about the third down packages, if you're Clancy and you're sitting back there saying, hey, the reality is we're just not getting that Christian Rector rush. Let's keep him, on, keep him in on on first and second down, maybe even keep him in on third down when it's like third and five or shorter. But if it creeps into third and six, is there a package where you do go more of a Hunter Eccles on a permanent permanent scope just because that third down is going to be the area where the edge is really going to be tested. So 
I still think he gives you valuable reps. It isn't as noticeable for me. I, I can I remember in like 2015 when Leonard Williams has had his ankle deal and it was like clear as day I was on film and it felt like he was just kind of dragging through the games or dragging the Leonard Williams dragging through the games was still making an impact, but it wasn't nearly the dominance that we were used to seeing. To me, it's not to that level. So I still play him, but uh, I think your point's fair in terms of, hey, is there a third down package that you might need to uh, change up? Very, very reasoned and uh, and logical response. I'm going to compromise with you on that one and say you may, you may be right. Um, the the reason why I was prompted by it also though is because uh, Christian didn't practice Wednesday. It could have been a maintenance day just to get him that rest. We don't know. He's got but, the veteran um, treatment. Yeah, I guess old senior. Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense to approach it that way. But yes, I I, I think. I think maybe just more of a rotation then is is the compromise that I would settle for there. Okay, number three. Oh, where do I go? I got three more good ones. I think. All right. <laughs> this is this is uh, this is a positive one. This is there's no there's no criticism in this one. This is just all positive. I think, and so maybe it's not a hot take. We'll see. I think that defensive backs coach Greg Burns has proven to be the best offseason acquisition on this USC staff, and that if Clay Helton is let go after this season or at some point, a new coach comes in, Burns should be at the top of the list for the new coach to consider retaining on staff. Hot take. Okay, okay. Um... I do you, want, do you, do you, do you want some more reasoning here? I, I, I can throw you some logic here. What you got? So, I'm, already, you know, I'm already telling you I'm selling it. I'm not buying it, but what you got? Okay. All right. I, I like it, man. There's, there's <laughs> no resistance today. This, this is good. This is good. Um, he, I think he's had the hardest, or I'll just say one of the hardest and one of the most important jobs all season, getting a secondary with no experience at corner and – minimal experience at safety ready to play and as we've talked about on many podcasts it's overall been better than expected especially the cornerback play and even last week he's, he's still adjusting on the fly they plug in Kalana McCall at nickel a guy who was buried on the depth chart hadn't played a snap he handled himself okay we're gonna really see this week what happens because we'll get into this later at the end of the podcast but all signs have been pointing to Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin uh, not playing. That would mean that freshman Dorian Hewitt is the other starting corner up to Chris Steele. If he gets him ready to play in this game, I and mean, this is still a nip. we got to see if it happens. I'm just really impressed with the way he's managed a very tough situation there. And I think that all those corners have grown. We've seen Chris Steele go from being penalized on every play in the preseason to having a rough debut, to all of a sudden being one of the steadier cornerbacks on this team and maybe in the conference. We've seen OG come out of the gates hot. We've seen Isaac Taylor Stewart, I think, improve over the season. I just think he's had a very positive impact. Okay, shoot me down. It's less shooting you down and more just going a different angle. To me, uh, love what Greg Burns has done, but I kind of look at kind of what Graham Harrell's done, and we kind of forget that we got down to Matt Fink there for a little while. And, I mean, you talk about his performance in that one game. I know they struggled against Washington, but I think anyone would have struggled on that road. I just think what Graham's brought in terms of the air raid offense, when I break down this film, when I watch out what's going on, to me, it's had such a great benefit on these quarterbacks. I mean, you talk about JT and kind of the way he was able to uh, start off fast. Uh, injury happened. Keaton, true freshman quarterback, no one was expecting to go with him. We've talked about it on this pod that Graham didn't, didn't hesitate one time throughout the course of the past six, seven months in terms of saying, hey, Keaton's a stud. He's going to be a stud. He's going to perform. And there were some doubts there in August and September. And then sure enough, Keaton goes out there and plays well. And the counter to, to, to this is, well, what happened in BYU? What happened in Washington? That's fair. But I still think this offense been, has been such a positive for this team. And I think for the program moving forward with the athletes that SC is going to get year in and year out in recruiting, I think Graham Harrell, if if we go down a road where there is a new coach or whatever, but looking into the future, I think Air Raid and kind of what Graham's brought has been a super big positive. And so, so my, hey, 
Burns is the one coach we got to kind of keep on or kind of or something or the one most impressive coach I probably lean t- towards more what Graham's done and but and give him the slight edge over Greg Burns I like it again again you, I'm, I, I can't disagree with you I actually am more high on Graham Harrell still than most people but I let me ask you a follow-up. So you mentioned the quarterback development, and, and that's an obvious positive check mark for Graham. But what about the fact that USC is in the middle nationally in, in the offensive st- stats this year? It really hasn't been a market upgrade from the numbers last year, and that's what a lot of fans would point to and say, this isn't what I expected. Like There was all this hype for Graham Harrell and his offense, it was going to be this high-flying offense and and the pace of play and 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 really a lot of it has not come to fruition. What what still gives you that uh, that positive evaluation on on his impact overall? Yeah, I think for me it kind of gets more into looking forward into the future. I just think this offense it's more than just kind of what we've seen the past six weeks. It's more kind of all right looking ahead in terms of how this how this offense works with the. With the program moving forward, I mean, uh, when this when we started this subject, it was kind of phrased as, "Hey, if we go a different route, kind of what's what's been the most impressive? What would you kind of keep in all that?" And so uh, I've been impressed there. But I also think, I mean, you talk about we have played Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, three tough teams at the time. I mean, Stanford looks a little bit better. Fresno State. We have in terms of overall offensive numbers, we haven't had the cupcakes that maybe the national uh, schedule has, but. I still have my hesitancies. Um, I also think it's it's probably still a learning element of terms in terms of how to blend this scheme with uh, SC skill, I guess you could say, where you have the ability to run the ball. A lot of times, air raids don't have the ability to run the ball, so you don't have that option at your at your forte. But um, yeah, still have concerns on kind of offensive line and, and that and uh, kind of dominating guys up there. But I think overall, I just. From the, from the quarterback lens, I see how these guys are seeing the pass progressions and the pass plays, and maybe, yeah, it's just the QB and me kind of look uh, wishing I had had that offense because uh, I think he makes it simple. But in, in terms of coaches, I feel like they're two – Burns and Harold, two solid guys, can't go wrong. Yeah, and, and so, so I'm going to qualify everything I said, again, by kind of agreeing with you. I, I actually really do hope that Graham Harrell – is on this staff next year and that he gets to continue to mature and grow in this offense because I do think in the long term with more seasoning, more time, it's a great fit for what USC is going to be able to recruit and what they already have. And I I do also look past the overall numbers. I, I look at that second half at Notre Dame. And how much did we talk last season about this team couldn't make adjustments offensively? It was every week. They just... Every week they would start strong and then just die, and it was the same story. Well, what happened last week? The opposite. They were maybe a little thrown off in the first half, and they came out and scored on every fourth, every second half uh, possession, four straight possessions. So I, I see a lot of positives with him. I know a lot of the fans. It's it's all about immediate results, and they've already kind of turned the page and said, "Well, this this was overhyped." I'm with you. I want to see more of it. And this leads into my fourth hot take. Perfect segue. Man, we are getting so uh, pro at this at this game here. <laughs> um, my, my fourth hot take, which is both a critique but also kind of an explainer for the previous discussion, I think that this has been a lot more challenging than Graham Harrell expected. And I'm going to circle back to his interview with us on Tuesday. And you know, I asked him the standard weekly throwaway. So, what he expected from Arizona defensively, and what I love about talking to Graham is that he really can't like contain how he actually feels about things, and it just comes out. And so he gave a little chuckle and he goes, "How, how can you even be sure anymore? Because every week it's been they've gotten a look that they didn't expect, and I don't think." I think that that's an acknowledgement that, hey, I didn't deal with this in North Texas. Like, I broke down the tape. I knew what we were going to face. We faced it, and we had a plan to beat it. And this season, it's been a different story every week where every week there's something that they didn't quite expect. And I think maybe maybe he underestimated what the transition was going to be from North Texas to USC. And maybe we all did. Maybe we all just thought that 
Air Raid. Air, Air Raid's working everywhere. Air, Air, Air Raid's a, is a panacea, a cure-all. This is, this is perfect. And, and we didn't put enough stock in the fact that this guy's only been a coordinator for a few years. It's been at North Texas. This is a big jump. And I think he's learning on the fly a little bit. And then, yep. and just last point on that, on the same note, we also had a great discussion this week about pace of play and, and why has the pace not been there? Why has it not been 80, 90 plays a game like we thought? And he had some interesting uh, answers, but mostly he kind of gave the sense of, yeah, I, I expected it was going to be that, and it really it hasn't been that. He goes, you know, back at North Texas, he was asked about the receiver rotation, which we talked a lot about, how it hasn't existed. And he said, well, I, we just we haven't had the amount of plays I expected. Like last year, we, we were getting like 20 more plays a game, and so we needed those guys, and that's kind of what I was basing it off of. And so I think there's been a lot of things that have surprised him this year. He's a sharp guy. He's a smart guy. I think he's learning uh, – in real time and making progress. And I think that a year from now, he's going to be a much better coordinator at this level in this offense. So I want to see him get that chance to keep building here. But I think that my hot take is that this has been more than he expected. I buy every single word you said. I think it's a great yes! point. Yeah, I think it's a great <laughs> point. Uh, and to me, I think a, a lot, a, a big part of that lack of tempo is uh, the fact that whether it's Graham or it's, maybe elements of clay, but early on in the game, they want to make sure they get the perfect play call every time because they know exactly. that it's going to be criticized and there it is looked at through a lens and every play is so precious, that kind of thing that they, 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 they go slower. And I think that element you don't always see with some of these North Texas, the Washington State. It's more of like a, hey, we'll call this if it works, great. We'll trust our guys. If not, we'll get on the next play. That mindset doesn't really work at SC. It doesn't work when you have so much media attention. It doesn't work when you have to win now and you have to score every single play. And if we don't score a touchdown every drive, what's going on? That thing, that, that, that's what kind of makes it tough. And I think that mindset's a great observation by you where, where he's been before. It's just kind of, hey, we're going to go out there. We're going to call plays. We're going to put up points. It's going to be good to go. At SC, it's a different ball game. You're getting the other team's best shot every single week. Not only are you getting their best shot, you're getting a new shot from them, a different look, a different scheme. Everyone's got their SC blueprint. I think there's, it's, it's kind of cliche. We hear it after every single game, but it's real. Teams come out in something different against SC because they're not used to seeing SC's town. I think um, when I listen to Graham's, uh, Graham's interviews, I think there's an element of he's a little exhausted by kind of the constant yes. attention and the questions and all that. Like you, you feel that it's kind of like, why am I doing a, why am I doing a Wednesday interview about whatever? Like that he, Brian, there's, there's probably one beat writer at North Texas. There's probably <laughs> one beat writer at Washington State where it's just, he's, I mean, he doesn't have to worry about those things. And uh, I don't want to be naive. I think he knew it was coming, but I think he underestimated kind of the gravity of, of kind of how that would, how that would wear on this offense, and then. The last point is I just think uh, he didn't expect to to have kind of won the offseason quarterback controversy where he had to answer a question every single week, and then he thought it was behind him. Oh, and then two weeks later, JT gets hurt, and he has to deal with the the, the storm that came with, with Keaton getting hurt and Fink and playing well and not playing well. And uh, so I think your, your point is spot on, and uh, I think it kind of ties back into the last hot take we said, and, and you kind of finished off with it there, is – I hope Graham, or either way, whatever Graham's future is, I think this season will make him a way better. I think he's been fine and been good, but I think moving forward it'll be even way better this season, kind of the learning lessons that he'll be able to take uh, take with him as a play caller and just kind of managing this, this offense. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I'll go back to our Tuesday podcast. You were you hit the nail on the head. When I, I asked you, I said, why do you think the pace hasn't been there? And you answer like you just did. And then I asked Keaton Slovis on Tuesday, I said, I said, why do you think the pace hasn't been been like that at all times? And he said pretty much exactly what you said. It's, you know, we're, we're diagnosing, we're making sure we have the right play called. And it's just, it's just been, it's been a little more reactive than it has been assertive, but maybe a necessity. Okay, that's four. I got one more. This one is not a surprise, but I just, uh, I just feel that maybe not a surprise. Not maybe. So what marquee step reference or what? What do we got? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying he won't come up again the rest of the podcast. He probably will, but he's not part of the hot takes. 
Like, I think the Tuesday pod was like a, an elongated marquee step hot take, um, <laughs> which, which I feel very good about, getting that off my chest. But uh, number five here, I think even though USC is in full control of its destiny in the Pac-12, I think that Clay Helton's fate is probably decided at this point. I'll just leave it at that, and you can you can play off it. Yeah, um, I agree with you. I buy that, um, and I hate kind of going down the path of. I mean, we're only sitting at week seven or whatever, and already kind of getting there. But I mean, you just talk about three and three. I mean, we're not we're not the University of Washington where you're talking about hey, you could get back and kind of get a nine ten win season and 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 have a good year, and you're kind of. You're still a solid team. To me, this is SC. I mean, we're in the conversation of the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States and all that. That is the standard, and I think it's just it's bigger than these past six weeks. I think I think with a new AD, uh, my answer might have changed if it was if if Lynn was still there because I think just I mean we see it in every level of sports, every whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever. When you get new higher up management. They kind of want their own guy. And so I think even outside of wins and losses, there's some outside factors that aren't working for them. But to me, I just point to that BYU game. And I think there's a world where you survive if you lose to – I think there's a world where he, if he had went one and two through the Utah, um, Notre Dame, Washington stretch like he did, I think there was a world where he survives that if he beats BYU. Um, yep. They're four and two right now instead of three and three. To me, that BYU loss end up it, when we look back could very well be the killer. And I say that not to be totally negative. I think there's a world where this SC and we've talked about it, Ryan, where this SC team makes a run and gets in the the, the Pac-12 championship and maybe even wins the Pac-12 championship and gets in the Rose Bowl. And if they still don't win, I still think the fate is still is tough at that point, just because. Like I said, the, the standard is where Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson are right now. And there's no reason SC can't be out, be out there because we have the West Coast to ourselves. Um, and I think that's, that's the standard. And uh, I don't necessarily see a path to that level right now. I think you summed it up well. It's, it, it's, it's beyond just these first six games. It's the fact that we're looking at now most likely – two seasons in a row of USC being well outside the national conversation and recruiting being at, I don't know if I can say all-time low, I don't have the the historical numbers going back all-time, but in the modern era, this is going to be an all-time low recruiting ranking for USC. There's just uh, a lack of momentum for the program, and the biggest factor being new leadership coming in. They're not going to stick with a status quo that is not directly trending upward they're going to make a change that's why i feel but i I do think your point about byu is right too if they win that game and go on this stretch and you're talking about maybe maybe a 10-2 regular season with the two losses being on the road at washington Notre Dame, then maybe it's a different story that game was was a killer all right we're going to turn the page and we're going to evaluate the rest of the schedule and USC's chances for a Pac-12 run. Okay, so we're going to do another fun segment here where we're going to break down each of the six remaining games and we're going to rank them in terms of the toughest challenges remaining for USC. And we're going to give our expected win percentage for the Trojans for each game. And now Max and I have not compared list yet so we're just doing this in real time i have my list he has his list and we'll just we'll just flow from there max why don't you start give me your ranking of these final six games yeah um you want all six or or one i go one you go one like our number one yeah we can do it that way yeah Tip, cool, 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 cool. Tit for tat. All right, let's do it. Tit for tat. There we go. Um, so the game that scares me the most with the, we got six more games coming up uh, is Oregon. Um, I just think they're the best football team. Even though we get them at home, I think that's probably the one game as of right now where SC is probably not favored. Uh, Arizona State might be the second. Uh, but yeah, Oregon's a good football team. They got some injuries, uh, but I think now this is the first week where I've heard people kind of start saying, well, hey, there's a, there's a path for Oregon to make the playoff. This is kind of the first week I've heard that, and I yeah. do some national segments, and people are kind of starting to buy that buzz where, hey, the Pac-12 isn't that that great uh, at the top where there's a world where, I mean, Justin Herbert, I mean, 
a top quarterback kind of gets Oregon rolling. So to me, that's the hardest game, uh, and I put it at a uh, a forty percent uh, win probability. <laughs> I think there's a very real possibility we have the same list here, but we'll, we'll find out. I had Oregon to the Ducks are five and zero, four and one in the conference. Their only loss was a competitive game to Auburn at a neutral site uh, in, in week one. They've won four straight since then. Haven't truly been tested since then. Most impressive, their last four games they've held opponents to under ten points. Their scoring average for the season. Allowed. They're giving up 8.7 points a game, which is third nationally. They're eighth in total defense, 267.7 yards per game. Those are hard numbers to not be real. Like, you know, national stats can be skewed greatly by one game or another game. But when you're that low in both those categories, that means you're playing really, truly good defense. And at the same time, they have a top 30 offense, 36 points a game, 461 yards a game. You mentioned Justin Herbert. Obviously, everyone talks about him as a top potential draft pick. He's averaging 267 passing yards a game. But the most impressive stat is 17 touchdowns, one interception. Uh, now, they lose their, their tight end and top receiver, Jacob Breland, for the season. But still, this is a really, really good team. I've had my doubts about Mario Cristobal as a X's nose coach. He's... He's a bona fide recruiter. Everyone's known that for years. Wherever he's been, he's been a top recruiter. He's obviously brought in a ton of talent there. But it's starting to manifest on the field. And so I also put USC at a 40% win percentage for that game. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I think we're going to disagree from the rest of the way out. Oh, okay. So we should be good. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Okay, we'll good. See. I, um, yeah. Now go. Go. I'm going to jump to number two. You good? Yeah. All right, we go. Number two, I got the Cal Bears. Oh, um, <laughs> off the top yep. rope. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> I love it. I got the Cal Bears. here, And my why is kind of when you – when here's my why. And I have a feeling you probably have Arizona State at number two. Uh, yeah. I could be wrong. But uh, to me, I just think Arizona State, and we'll get there, but I think that's just a game USC is going to really get up for. And to me, a lot of this is going to be – that's a huge factor, right, is which games can SC get up for because they're going to get everyone's best shot. And to me, I think Cal is a game that these guys could sleep on a little bit. It's going to be on the road. For Cal, it's going to be their Super Bowl, right? All those guys on that team probably did not get USC offers and their buddies did kind of thing. This is a defense that is legit. You talk about corners that are fantastic, a secondary that's fantastic. That's what you need when you got to come up against SC. Their defensive line is very good. They have the – uh, yeah, they have the best defensive uh, player uh, interior uh, in, in, the, in this conference. So I think that could maybe give the, uh, the, the this USC offense a line some issues. Uh, and they're, they're a team that's, that's played well against big teams. Justin Wilcox formerly coached at ASC. So you better believe these guys are going to get up. I have huge concerns about their quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But – we play Cal in a month, so that's a month longer that Bo Baldwin, who's a fantastic offensive coordinator, can kind of figure out, all right, what do I got at this quarterback position? I think it's going to be low scoring that game, but I just think the tide could maybe turn where that's a game that you sleep on a little bit as an SC player, and it's going to be Cal Super Bowl. Wow, he definitely caught me off guard with that one. Um, I have Cal fifth on my list oh there we go yep and and, and I, I see where you're coming from i see it and obviously it played out last year usc lost that game and and that's the game of all the games that you point to as the one that they that they kept them out of a bowl game because because they were in control and then toa lobendon had the high snap that led to just the whole game uh changing on a pivot early in the second half there and so you know you can't be overconfident because they did lose to him last year I just don't think that any team with an offense that restricted, I think that's a good diplomatic way of saying it. It's a good it, word. It's a good word. Yep. Uh, is going to be able to beat USC. Uh, Cal ranks 116th in scoring, 113th in total offense, averaging 20.3 points a game. And you mentioned the quarterback deal. I, I don't know how long Chase Garbers is out for. Even with him, he's not an overly dynamic uh, player in my eyes. Devin Monster's come in. He's completing less than half of his passes, which is hard to do in 2019. It's really hard to have a 47% completion rate. So I just don't know that no matter how good they play defensively, that they're going to be able to stop USC enough where they can keep pace. So give me your, give me your win percentage for that game. 
I got seventy percent, seven zero. Okay, I, I have I have eighty percent. Um, so we're not too far off in that regard. All right, so I'll go to my number two, and and you can tell me where you have them. I have Arizona State in number two, which which you predicted. Um, it's a road game. Obviously, they lost to him last year. I guess this should be called the Jack Sears Memorial Classic because uh, that was that was his game last year, and it's yep. uh, it's uh, it's still being talked about a year later for some reason. Um, anyways, I am starting to buy Arizona State. They are they are five and one, two and one in the conference, and their only loss was a bit concerning. They lost to Colorado. 34-31 to Colorado. But I like Jaden Daniels at quarterback. He's been great. He's dynamic with both his uh, his arm and his legs. Obviously, I like Eno Benjamin. I guess, you know, I, I still like USC in this game because I just, I just know that Herm Edwards is a conservative coach. Their overall offense is not overwhelming. They're 92nd nationally in scoring. I think it's going to be a close game, and – I definitely give USC a big chance to win that, or a chance to win that. I have it at fifty percent. All right, I got Arizona State fourth on my list. Okay. Um, okay. Actually, I don't have them at third. Yeah, um, I got a seventy-five percent win percentage in this game, and to me, it gets back to kind of what I touched on before. A lot of this, when you get down to kind of after Oregon, it's all right. Where's SC going to be mentally with these games? Arizona State. It's coming up. They're getting a ton of headlines. This Arizona State team is. So going into that game, I know the SC locker room, they're going to be geared up. They're going to be, hey, screw these guys. Like on the road, Arizona State, it's probably going to be a night game, um, which is an elite environment, one of my favorite places to play. I think uh, I point to little factors. I think uh, Jack Jones, former teammate of mine, former teammate of, of Michael Pittman, of Tyler Vaughn's, He's Arizona State's go-to corner. You better believe this receiving core is going to be locked in that week of practice. So I don't think there's going to be any sort of like dud games or rustiness. Um, I think there's something to be said about just, I think, playing on the road at Arizona State, SC kind of gets up for. Uh, And I think matchup-wise, defensively, I think this is a really favorable matchup for the USC defense. I think Jaden Daniels is dynamic, but I do not think this offense is that dynamic. And what I mean by that is I think – like Arizona's offense is more dynamic. They do more stuff, I think, is it the most simple way I can put it. So I can see this SC defensive line going up against a, 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 a pretty poor or, or weak or at least suspect offensive line at Arizona State. That concerns me a little bit. Uh, I also think when you get into these coming months, that game's probably going to be a dry game in terms of the weather, which is crucial with the air raid versus that's not always the case with some of these other games we're talking about. Um but, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I net out. I just think mentally I envision this game that, uh, being one that SC gets up for and uh, Arizona State I have as a 75% win percentage. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and after we finish this list, I'll, I'll review both of our lists just to, to bring it all back full circle and let you compare. But let's go to number three on your list. I'm curious if we have the same number three. Number three, I got the Arizona Wildcats. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got this week's game. Um, I just think you're, we're going to see the best of Khalil Tate. I really think so. I mean, you talk about – we've talked about t- it's when, when teams play SC, it's their Super Bowl. This is Khalil Tate's Super Bowl. I mean, his hometown team, uh, I think we're just going to get the best version of him. When I watch the film, uh, I'm not impressed by Arizona's offense, but I am – or, I mean, uh, by Arizona's defense, excuse me, but I am impressed by their offense. I think they do some things um, that – they do a lot of things that are – uh, one of the best third down teams in the country, which we saw kind of last week was a key metric. Uh, I also think there's an element of SC's in choppy waters right now uh, in terms of being at, at three and three. Moving forward in the season, they might not be in choppy waters and the vibes might be a little bit more positive. But right now the vibes aren't that positive. So if, if Arizona were, were to get out on the right foot in this game, there could definitely be some finger point, pointing, some guys feeling sorry for themselves. And then I also look up, look at matchup-wise. Well, I, I saw the Arizona State game, or I see the Arizona State game as a favorable matchup. There are concerns matchup-wise in this game. SC has struggled on the edge against perimeter teams. Arizona has an elite on-the-edge rushing team. Uh, when you talk about Taylor and Khalil Tate, so that concerns me a little bit. You talk about tackling. 
with these uh, with with that run game on the edge, a weak secondary or a, a, a inexperienced secondary this week for SC that could be a, a critical factor against this Arizona team. And when you give kind of Khalil Tate receivers that are open that he can throw to, he's he he has proven that he can be dynamic with his arm. This isn't the Khalil Tate we saw in the Coliseum two years ago. He's definitely developed as a passer. So. Um, I still think it's a 75% win percentage. I still think SC will get it done. But in terms of kind of fear for me, there's definitely a path in this game where Khalil, Khalil Tate and this Arizona offense get some steam. And even their, even with their poor defense, this can be an absolute shootout. And uh, this, this, this could potentially be a, be, a, be a scare game. So what's your percentage? 75%. Okay, well, we agree on that. I, I have 75% too. I have Arizona fourth on my list. And they are, I think they're on the right track with Kevin Sumlin. Uh, they're four and two. They're two and one in the conference. Here's where I am less concerned. I just, you mentioned not being impressed with their defense. Their defense is, is pretty bad. They're giving up 473.2 yards a game. Now they're averaging 509.3, so the offense has been there. But they have, they have been torched by some teams. Hawaii went for 595 against them, 436 through the air. UCLA went for 445, Colorado 496, Washington 450. I like USC in any matchup where I think the offense is not going to be totally thrown off kilter. And I expect this week for the offense to look closer to its expected potential against them. Now, I, I definitely buy the Khalil Tate fear factor. Because I, I, any quarterback who is mobile, but especially one as mobile as he is, is a, is a major concern for this USC defense. And you mentioned it. He has been somewhat improved as a passer. He's had two big games this year. He had 361 yards at Hawaii and 404 at Colorado. So, so he has aired it out uh, in certain opportunities. I just overall come back to it's a home game. It's a must-win game for USC. And I don't think Arizona's defense is going to be able to do enough to uh, to overcome all that. I had it fourth on my list, and like I said, I also had it seventy five percent. Okay, so let's let's jump to my number three uh, since we've got your top four now. My number three is Colorado, and it's definitely skewed by the fact that it's a road game. Um, I don't think this is a great Colorado team. Again, another team really struggling defensively, which is a bit of a surprise because they hired Mel Tucker, the former Georgia defensive coordinator. You would have thought that would be the area, the ball side of the ball, where they would have shown some immediate improvement. They're averaging 480 yards a game. They're giving up 307 through the air per game. So uh, another conducive matchup for the USC offense. But we've just seen for too long now that this Trojans team is not the same on the road. It just it finds ways to come undone. Um, the Oregon State game last year is their only road win in, in however long. It's, it seems like forever. And I just can never feel overly confident when they're on, on the road. And I, I can't put my finger on why that is. You know, we, we've had this discussion before. I don't have a definitive reason why, but it just seems to be a trend. So I have Colorado third toughest remaining game, but a 70% win percentage. Yep, and uh, I have Colorado at five, eighty um, percent win percentage. Uh, I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, I just think, um, I guess, yeah, I'll go at it a different way. I think for me, uh, the fact that this is going to be on a Friday night, and this is, as you guys can probably tell, this is like the player coming out in me when I when I break down this, but. It's going to be a Friday night in front of the entire country. I think this is a game that SC will get up for. Uh, I don't worry about that. Even if it is before Oregon, I think they're going to get up for this guy. Um, I've never been – yeah, I've never really been on the Steven Montez train, even when he had a lot of hype. Uh, I mean, the, the, the peak of his hype was probably beginning of last season. But he, but even since then, um, I re, I, he, he's a very – streaky quarterback which uh i'm not necessarily a fan of and uh lavisca chanel he's banged up i don't know the the uh injury report on him right now but i know that's a big concern and he's probably the best offensive player in this country uh in terms of projecting to the next level and if he's banged up and maybe not playing or not to full strength i think that greatly limits the offense so uh to me i think those two factors kind of stick out to me and uh, that's why it's it's at the bottom. I think SC gets it done this game, uh, and I got 80% win percentage on the road in Boulder. 
Yeah, Montez, 10 touchdowns, 6 picks this year. Schnultz, not been the same player he was last year, averaging less than 60 yards a game, receiving only two scores. So I, I definitely totally see why that could be near the bottom of the list. It's just it's purely about that being a road game that scares me. Okay, so that leaves for both of us UCLA, number 6. What's your, what's your win percentage for USC against the Bruins? The Bruins, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, a couple things stick out. This is just not a very good football team. UCLA is not a good football team. It's going to be uh, at, at pretty much all positions. Uh, SC is going to have the advantage, which uh, is not the case necessarily every single year. I think that sticks out. I think, too, the fact that it was a bad loss for SC last year. I think there's going to be a lot of guys, yeah. no matter how this thing plays out, and Ryan and I can kind of debate how it, it, it's going to play out the, 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 the next five weeks, but that's six week. You better believe those seniors are going to want to go out on the right way, no matter where we're at at that point. So I think guys are going to get up for that game. Um, and it's just it's a UCLA is just not a very good football team. And I think uh, they're going to beat him, and I think it's going to be a, or it is going to be a home game in the Coliseum, which I think is advantageous. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I got a 95% win percentage. Uh, UCLA, the reason it's not 99 uh, is I think SC as a program could be in very delicate waters at that point, uh, just in terms of kind of where they're at as a program in terms of leadership. So that's kind of why I backtrack just four percentage points to uh, 95%. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm at 90 just because that's as high as I can go with this team a- any week, uh, just because I, I just have my concerns that, that things can always go awry. And they did lose this game last year, but that to me is a reason why I think they're going to win. They're going to be fully motivated for it. Whatever happens the rest of the way, I agree with you. I don't see them tripping in that game. And I, I think that it's very possible that UCLA, whatever roller coaster they've been on, crested with that Washington State win, which is their only win of the season, and just a total outlier to their season. They be they have an epic comeback against Washington State, 67-63. They've been a pretty bad offensive team otherwise. I mean, they've been held under 20 points in four of their six games. Um, so I'm, I think that the Chip Kelly era has lost almost all steam, and I don't know how much longer it's going to last. The LA Times had a really interesting story about the overwhelming percentage number of players who have left the program since he took over, and it's just uh, it's just not going as they expected there. So to recap. Yeah. To recap the list, I'll run down my list real fast, and I'll run down yours. Ranking USC's toughest games the rest of the way, I had number one, Oregon, 40% win percentage. Number two, Arizona State, 50%. Number three, Colorado, 70%. Number four, Arizona, 75% this week. Number five, Cal, 80%. And then UCLA, 90%. Max had number one, Oregon, 40%. Number two, Cal, 70% chance to win. Number three, Arizona, 75%. Number four, Arizona State, 75%. Number five, Cal, 80%. And number six, UCLA, 95%. So given all of that, what belief do you have that USC can actually do this and can, can win the Pac-12 South? I'm optimistic and not uh, not delusional. There's definitely a, uh, definitely a difference there. I think you go down those games, and especially UCLA, Colorado, Arizona. Um, yeah, I think – all the UCLA, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Cal, those five games, you'd like to think, I mean, SC, I feel confident going into all those games. So outside of something goofy happens, which that happens in college football, that's why we all kind of love this. I think SC, I, I love what they got going going on with their, with their kind of roster going into those games. So I'm confident there. I just think it's going to be hard when you talk about Sure, even if we have it at 80% kind of every single or optimistically 75%, all it takes is one slip up for this to kind of kind of go off the rails. But there's a clear path to, to win in the South. Uh, and there's a clear path to, I mean, m- making some noise, even though we are at three and three right now. So I'm confident. But yeah, just to get back on our list, the two the two big points, I think the, the differences for us were, were kind of Cal and ASU. And yeah. and for me, there's probably a, an element of, of me trying to make a point. I just think that Cal roster could be at a different different uh, different wavelength a month from now. And I also think there's an element of kind of that maybe might, might be a game that SC sleeps on a little bit. And then this Arizona State, uh, they're a good team. I'm impressed with what Herm has, but I, 
I don't fear them as much. Just I think it's a favorable matchup, so it seemed like those were our two big differences. But uh, outside of that, I think Oregon's going to be the big test, no doubt. Yeah, and, and you definitely were influenced heavily by motivation factors, and that that speaks to someone who's been in those games and know how, knows how much that matters. So I, I, I can put weight in that. I, I, can, I can see all that. Um, yeah, you know, I think that there's definitely a chance that they can win the Pac-12 South. My biggest concern is not any one game. It's the fact of can this team win six in a row? And just that consistency, because it hasn't been there as long as I've covered this team. They have not had a sustained run. So I, I've been here a year and a half. I know I know what happened previously. I know Clay's done it before in his tenure, but it hasn't happened in a long time where they've just gone on a run. And so I, I don't know that I can buy that aspect of it, that, that they're just going to be super disciplined and clean the rest of the way. And I'm not sure how much they can afford a second loss in the conference. So right now, the Pac-12 South standings, Arizona State, Utah, USC, and Arizona are all 2-1. and one. Arizona State has Oregon left. Utah has Washington. Arizona has Stanford, Oregon, and Utah. So I'm less concerned about, about them. I think it's really a three-team race between Arizona State, Utah, and USC. Obviously, USC is the tiebreaker over the Utes, uh, having beaten them head-to-head. I think if they were to lose that Arizona State game, I don't know if there's a path to recover. Because they would not only not have the tiebreaker, but they'd be a game down, presumably, or depending on how things play out. I guess it could be different, but I, I just don't know if, if they can lose that game and survive. So that's my biggest fear. Yeah, and sitting here, kind of thinking through your points you just made, there is a world too where, where I mean, I don't know how you, I forget how you frame the question, but there is a, a world where they win the South with two losses. I mean, you talk about if, if SC has a hiccup in, in the coming games. And Utah has a hiccup in, in the coming games, assuming that hiccup for SC is not Arizona State. Or, right. I guess, to me, I, I kind of look at it as I don't really take Arizona that seriously at this point. I know statistically or, like, record-wise they are there. But if it's a three-horse race between Utah, Arizona State, and, uh, and SC, as long as SC's hiccup isn't Arizona State yes. and Utah also has a hiccup, there's a world where they win the South and, and they're in the – they're in uh, the Pac-12 championship even with two losses. So if that was the qualifier and that was the question, that's a whole different animal. But in terms of kind of winning out, that, that, that's a different story. But the whole two-loss dynamic, we've seen it before in the South with, with it kind of being an ugly year. Uh, it's not the craziest of things to expect that again. No, I, they could lose this game, and I think Arizona would still lose to Oregon and Utah and have three losses at that point, and that tiebreaker is moot. Um, it's very possible – that Arizona State loses at Oregon and Utah loses at Washington and if USC just wins that Arizona State game and the rest of them, then, yeah, that's their path as a two-loss team. So if there's any droppable game, you know, this is one of them. But we'll see. It'll be interesting. I, you know, hopefully they make the season interesting the rest of the way and there's, it's not just kind of a, a whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. A, slog, it's kind of a, a, a slog. A dud year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we haven't talked a ton about this matchup. We did a little bit when we brought up Arizona, but, but let's get into it. Um, we always love to get Max's analysis on the opponent each week as he sees things from the perspective of a, of a quarterback, a former player, and, and an analyst. Uh, so let's start with Arizona's offense. You hit on some key points, but give us the, the full rundown of what you see in this matchup for USC's defense versus Arizona's offense. Yeah, I love uh, I love Arizona's running game. I mean, you talk about uh, Khalil Tate and J.J. Taylor. If you've been following college football, both those guys are, are, are big names. Obviously, Khalil Tate's a big national name. But even J.J. Taylor, he's done really well for himself in this conference. Uh, they have, And then they have two guys behind him, Gary Brightwell and Bam Smith. Uh, they did not play in the UW game, if you kind of were t- uh, tuning into that. But they've had success there. Uh, no one receiver sticks out to me. Uh, I believe they have – kind of four or five guys they throw to and they all have pretty comparable numbers so in terms of scheme wise that way nothing jumps out at at me but uh i think i remember when i when i was there uh early on in khalil tate's career uh he definitely felt like a running back first who had the ability to throw well now in 2019 like khalil tate he'll sit in the pocket and he'll uh he'll pick you apart i don't think he's a dynamic passer but if it's there and he's got protection, uh, he, he'll pick you apart. And he had definitely glimpses of that in the Washington game. I think the one area that sticks out to me is 
I mean, USC's edge rushers, and I know we talked about Christian Rector and him maybe, bang, maybe being uh, banged up, but Arizona's offensive line is not good, especially at the tackle position. If I'm Drake Jackson or I'm Christian Rector or whoever's at the defensive end spot, we talked about Connor Murphy and Caleb Tremley. I'm licking my chops. This is the game where you get sacks, and I think one thing Washington did do well is uh, they, they clogged up the lanes interior-wise and even on the edge to not let Cleo Tate get outside, which – I know if people listen to this podcast, you know that's something that SC has struggled with, so that's going to be a big factor. But uh, matchup-wise, I just think there's a it's a little scary with the, the outside run game and how they're able to attack you with those two runners and kind of all the things Quiltate can do with his legs and with his arm nowadays. But uh, I think, I mean, it's, it, it's an offense that's good. And uh, even though SC's secondary is banged up, I still think it's an opportunity for SC's defensive line to really get after this offense. All right. Very good. Very good. Let's flip it around. What is the challenge, if any, that USC's offense is going to face against the Wildcats' defense? Yeah, I was waiting for that. Challenge? <laughs> eh, not so sure. This defense is, uh, is not very good, Ryan. We're talking uh, 119th nationally. Um, the one thing I will say is I know kind of we talked about they got beat up on by Texas Tech and Hawaii, which are not good football teams, but historically – they're very good offenses, um, so I will say that. Maybe, I mean, putting up stats, those are teams that, that have a tendency to put up big numbers, but uh, the one thing I'll give this defense is I like their team speed, um, which is not what you always see. I, I do see them kind of flying around and trying to make plays, and uh, I do see some athleticism kind of in the secondary, and I don't see uh, – th- there's been some defensive lines in the past at Arizona that you kind of – they're really patching it together, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> they do not necessarily have the best of guys. I remember when I was there, I think they had like a, a walk-on start at D-tackle like the whole year for them. I don't see that, but I do see teams putting up numbers. I do see corners on the outside that are playing really soft. And if they're playing soft against other teams, you better believe they're going to be playing soft against this this SC uh, receiving core. Um, but uh, I think they're bad statistically, don't get me wrong, but they do some things. And I think there's a world where if they get some momentum, they, they, can, they, can, they can get some things going their way. They do a lot defensively. They do some cover two. They do some two-man. They do some man. Uh, they cover three. So they, they bring it all to the park. Uh, I think we, we touched on it earlier. I think Graham, Harrell, Graham Harrell's kind of mindset of, Everyone has their own SC blueprint. I'm sure we'll see an element of that with Arizona, but it's a it's a bad defense. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but they do have at least a little bit there where it's not like they're totally, totally outmatched, and their two best players is Tony Fields uh, out there uh, at safety and then Colin Schooler, the, the middle linebacker. Schooler, I believe, was a preseason Pac-12 uh, first-team candidate. He hasn't put up the stats he's put up last year, and Tony Fields has been there for a very long time. If I'm not mistaken, he was there when I was there, so – He's played a lot of ball, but uh, defensively, this is a, this is a group that SC's really got to get after. Do you think they attack more through the air or on the ground this week? Um, through the air, I think uh, the, the thing that like, all right, Max, when you click play, what sticks out? It's how soft the corners are on the outside, and I mean, uh, if you're if you're USC, you have Pitt, you have Vaughns. Let's just throw hitches and slants out there to start the game like they did, like SC did against a Fresno State when teams are playing scared and force these guys to come out or come up, I guess you could say. And uh, early on in the game, Arizona went a lot, a lot of one high, meaning they, they brought an extra safety into the box. Well, what does that mean? It's harder to run the rock against a defense that does that, and it should open up the pass. So I envision that's going to be going to be an element of that. But once again, uh, we're flipping a coin in terms of guessing what what kind of defensive scheme SC is going to face. If you're Arizona, you probably got to bring out some some drop eight principles, which then that's advantageous towards the run. But either way, let's get some tempo, Ryan, early. I don't care what they got. Let's get some tempo, get running, run or pass. Let's, let, let's get this defense on their heels and really start attacking them. I like it. I like it. Well, good stuff. Um, I just want to hit on one last thing, and this is kind of a tease for, for the site. If you followed our USC Next Up series in the spring and summer where we were going in-depth with all of USC's newcomers, I had a few leftover stories that we just ran out of time on in August. And it actually works out well this week because one of those stories was on Dorian Hewitt, who was a really overlooked uh, signee in this last class, three-star safety from Houston. And as mentioned earlier, he's 
projected to start at cornerback unless there's a late recovery from Isaac Taylor Stewart with his ankle or Elijah Griffin with his back. So I'll have that story up Friday, and it's kind of a, a in-depth look at Dorian Hewitt's path. He was, you know, for a while he, he, he admitted he thought that he wasn't going to play D1 football. He thought he was going to have to play at a lower level. And then uh, Syracuse got involved on in him. He was committed to Syracuse for a while, decommitted in January. USC made a really late push for him, got him on campus, got his commitment. But there really wasn't much buzz about him in this class. And then he gets here as a safety, and, and the coaches are like, man, this guy is fast. Like This guy is like has legit speed. I and mean, he was a track standout um, in high school in Houston. And so Greg Burns this summer at, at a certain point goes – I think maybe maybe he's lost in the shuffle at safety. Let's get him at cornerback and see what he can do there. And unbeknownst to, to all of us, uh, he's kind of been the number four corner for a while now. And I say unbeknownst to us because the reporters don't see practice anymore. And USC sends a depth chart out every week, and it's had Dorian Hewitt listed as the fifth, fourth team sa- or nickel, fourth team nickel all season. Um, but actually, Greg Burns acknowledged on Wednesday that, that Hewitt's kind of been that fourth guy at corner. Hasn't been need, needed yet, but uh, will be this week. So look for that story Friday, and look for Max twice a week on the Church and Talk podcast, Tuesdays and Fridays, and on the message board every Thursday night for his live chat. Max, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan.